Okay, let's take our Bibles and go to Judges chapter 1. This is the, the second uh, message in our Judges series. And uh, if you're a guy, you should have received one of these when you came in today, a man card. And uh, in case any of you guys were, were bypassing that, we have some up here. And uh, I don't know if you guys have ever... Anybody know... There's always going to be somebody that's like, what in the world is a man card? If you're a man, that means that you need one. So a man card is defined as, I guess you could say, a, a, a restatement uh, that you are a, you're a guy, you're a dude. And, and this is not Jesus. We're going to talk about what a Christian man should have. But this is often the world's way of saying that you earn your man card. You grow an epic beard. That's one of the ways. Another way is you kill a 12-point buck with a bow. Another way would be you earn a huge face scar, stop a purse snatcher, rebuild an engine, any engine. You hike the Appalachian Trail solo. You enter a lumberjack contest and win. You learn to weld. You You carry a buckskin knife. You survive a rattlesnake bite. Or you simply just meet Chuck Norris. You build a log cabin. That is often the way that the world categorizes what it means to be a man. And what we're going to do this morning, you guys can put this thing in your wallet to say, I went to church and I got my man card. Some of you guys say, Jeff, I don't need one. I'm the one who issues the man card. Going back to 1990s, I'm the bus driver and I take everybody to school. What now, sucker? Right? Like, like you are that boss hog. You are alpha male. So here's the thing, guys. Whether we want to admit it or not, there is no man ever who wants his manhood impugned or talked down about or to think that he is not what God created him to be and as a warrior for truth and for the right thing. Now, we're going to look in the Old Testament at a story of a man who definitely had his man card and if you could have punches on your man card, his would be absolutely filled. Like there are some college football teams that when they uh, the, the defensive lineman gets a sack or something like that, they, they get like for Florida State Seminoles, who my mom, she came up here. I think it was the first uh, Christmas that they came to visit. And she's trying to find my brother Josh something for Christmas. And he loves the Florida State Seminoles. And she goes to a Walmart in Rocky Mount. Where are we? Virginia. That is definitely not... Florida State Seminoles country, but it is Redskins country. And she bought what she believed to be a Florida State Seminoles uh, pair, I think it was of gloves or, you know, sandals or something like that. And when she opened it up on Christmas morning, Josh very politely said, Mom, this is not Florida State Seminoles. This is the Washington Redskins. And my dad, who bleeds blue and silver, raised in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, they almost needed marriage counseling, but it's all good now. It's all good. When you earn something in football, you 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 get rewards. You get uh, they would have a, a tomahawk, a little sticker put on their helmet. But but what does it mean to be a man of God? And the bigger question is, guys, what type of man must we be? What type of men must we be to actually leave a legacy? Because you know we come this way once, right? That's in popular terminology. We hear that all the time. We've got one shot. And the way that the world often tells us 
that we should approach that is because you've got one shot, try to get everything you can, try, try to be the man, but we know that he who dies with the most toys still what? Dies. And since if, if we're spending our whole life accumulating stuff, it really doesn't matter how much stuff, how much we can lift, anything along those lines, it matters what we've done for Jesus Christ. So we're going to camp out in Judges chapter 1. We're going to try to walk through verses 1 through 16 this morning and look at the requirements of leaving a legacy. So there in Judges chapter 1, we're going to begin to read in verse 1. The Bible says, After the death of Joshua, the people of Israel inquired of the Lord, Who shall go up first against us, for us against the Canaanites and fight against them? The Lord said, Judah shall go up. Behold, I have given the land into his hand. And Judah said to Simeon his brother, Come up with me into the territory allotted to me that we may fight against the Canaanites. And I likewise will go with you into the territory allotted to you. So Simeon went with him. Then Judah went up and the Lord gave the Canaanites and the Perizzites, kind of almost sounds like parasites, but it's the Perizzites, into their hand. And they defeated 10,000 of them at Bezek. And we'll continue to walk through this text in just a few moments. But what I want you to do, if you've got your outline there, just follow through this with us. We're going to look at several aspects of what needs to be there in our life, guys, to leave a legacy that's going to be remembered for the right thing. Number one is we have to free ourselves to have a, quote, different spirit from those around us. If you have your Bibles, this goes back to this man Caleb's life that we're going to examine in In Numbers chapter 14 and verse 24. And here's what the Bible says about Caleb. But my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit and has followed me fully, I will bring into the land which we went and his descendants shall possess it. So Caleb is the man who followed God with his whole heart. Now most of us guys have noticed that in America, the number one cool thing is not to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Has anyone noticed that? That there's not going to be too many people that are going to want your autograph if you say, my goal in life is to help as many people as possible come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior before I die. That's what I'm about. I may be a police officer. I may work at a a, a grocery store. I may be a mechanic. I may work as a teacher. But that is my job. You see, now, Jeff, are you saying that I have to free myself from what the culture says that I should be in order to leave a legacy? Yes. I've been to some funerals before to where honestly these, these guys, some of them have not lived all that long. The best that people can come up with that, 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 that pictures this guy and what he lived for was a sport or a recreational activity. Now, guys, is there anything wrong with sports? No. Now, if how your football team does in the fall affects how you treat your wife and kids, that is an issue. That's an issue of of maturity that you're going to have to allow the Lord to work on. 
But it doesn't matter how much we do. What the world wants to tell us is how much we can accumulate, how popular we can get. And the, and the thing is, that I want us guys this morning to think long term. Once, if the Lord is gracious and you live to where you're old and gray and you're just there, you're, you're, you're hobbling around, you're, you're about to go. And here's the thing. You want to be able to leave something for your family. And in order to do that, a legacy, something that's going to, especially for your sons and your daughters, help them to have a different mindset than most people have in America, is you're going to have to, by the grace of God, free yourself from this. It's an attitude of compromise in relation to Jesus Christ. There's a lot of men throughout the U.S. and they don't have a problem with going to church. Alright? That's good. Amen? Like, like, and, and you ladies, or, or if you've got a dad who's not saved, praise God if they're open and willing to come to church with you because maybe God will use the message there to change their heart. But here's where sometimes it just begins to, to sit and to sour when us men, all that we want of Jesus is just a Sunday morning uh, event, but it's not coming to be charged for the week and say, Jesus, I'm going to not just give you the first morning of the first day of my week. I'm going to give you my life. So what we have in the U.S. is a lot of guys, and it's so easy for us guys because we compromise in the area of simply committing fully to follow Jesus Christ. You say, Jeff, what in the world does that mean? Well, let me give you a couple references here that you can jot down and check out later. Or unless you won Bible drill uh, growing up, you may be able to turn there fast enough. Numbers chapter 32 and verse 12, the Bible says that it was only Caleb and Joshua that wholly followed the Lord. In Joshua chapter 14 and verse 9, it says that Caleb fully or wholly followed the Lord. Now here's the thing, guys. We can be like everybody else. We can be respected. We can have the cultural man card which says, really what you do with Jesus Christ is up to you. Now, by the way, we can't make anybody get saved, right? We can't do that. Some, some of y'all realize that? Try, trying so hard. You can plant the seed. You can exhort. You can encourage. But we can't change the heart. The culture will say, you can be a guy. You can be a successful man. But the only thing that matters, well, is just whatever makes you happy. Well, big question, what if what makes me happy right now in my life doesn't have any lasting impact? Right? Caleb absolutely and totally followed the Lord, even though most people in his generation did not. Now imagine if you were Caleb. Here's what you would have dealt with. You came out of this, this Egyptian type of slavery... And then you're going to this place called Canaan. It's this land that God said you're going to be able to settle there with your descendants. And and you go, you're, you're the top out of the top tribe, the tribe of Judah. And so Caleb with Joshua, they go and they spy out the land. And then the other ten guys from the other ten tribes basically stab them in the back. They go and they almost get caught at Jericho. And then this lady named Rahab hides them. So they're like special ops. They're going, siding out the land. They come back to tell the people what the land is like. And they're saying, you know what, Joshua and Caleb, let's go and do what God told us we could do. Let's go take the land. But the other ten guys said, walls are too big and the enemy is too big. We can't do it. Now imagine if you're, if you're Joshua and you're Caleb. You're like, but God told us we could do this. 
We're here. We're on the threshold of what God has promised to give us. Sure, we're not the most populous nation. Sure, we're not the strongest warriors. But if God says He'll give it to us, then it's as good as done, right? But they stopped because everybody else in their generation said, we can't. You know, I think that's the case in our generation often when we don't things think that things can change. We don't think that people can change. And guess what? Outside of the power of God, no one can change. But I'm praying that God will continue to move within Rocky Mount Baptist Church to where we as men... Ladies, I'm going to talk to you guys. That's okay? Just for a few minutes. Like a man-to-man sermon. Here we go. Guys, I pray that God will continue to get us and bring us to the place to where we will never give up on people who don't know Jesus. The Bible tells us that we are more than conquerors. What does a conqueror do? A conqueror goes, he sights out the area, and he conquers. If you're more than a conqueror, the battle's already done. It is yours. But yet what can happen to to us so easy, guys, is we can begin to be like the ten spies that went with Joshua and Caleb and say, man, Jeff, I'm not so much worried about other people. It's me. I have an issue with drinking. I have an issue with explosive anger. I have an issue to where it just, it just seems like the more I try to get my family together to serve Jesus, it falls apart. It seems like the more I try to get my finances in line, everything falls apart. Guys, it is through the power of Jesus Christ. Somebody, somebody's fired up this morning. Amen. All right. Let me tell you a quick story. When I was a kid, I got in trouble in church. I'm sorry. I'm, for those of y'all that are boom, 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 I get ADHD sometimes. I, I got in trouble and my mom was taking me out of church and I turned around to the church very, very, and I yelled out, help. <laughs> People didn't remember much of that sermon, but they remembered the young man that was crying out for salvation. But I think sometimes it's so easy for us guys to look at what everybody else does and then get discouraged by it. And then here's, ladies, this is for some of you, like, he's like, I just don't understand men. We're very simple. We're dumb. Here's the other, the, here's the other angle of it. Not, not only do, do we get, do we get, uh, I guess we could say our courage taken away by the culture, like Joshua and Caleb looking at all these guys like, wait, wait, sure they're big, sure the, sure it's tough. It's going to be battles. It's going to be hand to hand combat. But God said, culture says, who cares if God said? And then culture says, well, here, let me tell you, this is what it means to be a man. And they'll give us movies. And here's the thing. We actually think that those movies are realistic. I'm serious. John Wayne's a great actor. But guys, it's not real. You know what John Wayne did when he got terminal cancer? He said, jam a rag in that hole. No, he called Billy Graham. Because he was afraid of dying. All of these movies that give us these tough guys, these guys don't have the character of Christ because here's the thing, most of the shoot em up, I'm walking away, bodies all over the ground, explosions in the background, I've been with as many women as I want, I am the man, I take away the cash prize. All of that stuff is simply mirrors and smoke. It's not reality. Because most of those movies, the guy, if you could really get into the character, he's too afraid of other people thinking that he's vulnerable. That is the ultimate form of cowardice. To be a true man of God, 
We have to come to the place to where we are absolutely dependent upon Him, and then that provides the basis for courage. Some guys are like, man, sometimes, Jeff, I just don't know which way to go, who to believe. Let me give you a text that you can memorize later. J- James chapter 1, verses 5-8. through eight. The Bible says that if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach. And then it says in the next verse, let him, but let him ask with faith and with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is tossed to and fro by the wind. Let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord, for he is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. But notice what we read there in verse number 2. This is not a form of instability, guys. God called Judah to go. He calls us to follow Him. And notice what Judah did, who was led by Caleb. They asked Simeon. They asked Simeon, would you come? By the way, guys, somebody has to do the job. Amen? We've watched war movies like The Longest Day, Saving Private Ryan, and I praise God for the greatest generation. And uh, we have uh, Brother Joe Sink, who's not here today. He drove a tank on D-Day. We should honor that. Right, church? And the sacrifice, not just in that conflict, but all those who have been able to fight for freedom. But, you know, I think about a lot of those war movies that we see um, I've never seen, I've never heard in those types of conflicts guys just trying to pass the buck down the line. So many of our men have bled and died because they said, you know what, no one else is going to clear out that foxhole. And here's the thing, somebody else could, but if I don't do it, then that could mean harm to the other person in my unit or the unit behind. Like on Saving Private Ryan, they said, well, we don't have to take out this machine gun nest, but it could ambush the next company. And they took risks. Guys, in the Bible, it says that Judah took the risk. He asked Simeon to come alongside. Guys, I don't know where it got started, but there is a thing in American culture that says a true man never asks anyone for anything. I don't think I would go back and tell Caleb that he wasn't a man. This is a guy who's 80, 85 years old at the time. He's been fighting for years. He is as strong in his 80s as he was when he was 40, when he spied out the land, I don't think I would go back in time and tell those guys that they are less men than us because they had the humility to ask other true men for help. You see, the world says you need to bear it alone. That's exactly what Satan says. Satan wants you to think that you're the only one, that you're the only ones that has those kinds of issues and those burdens, but Jesus Christ is the one who comes alongside us to help. Anybody remember when we studied our Bibles in John chapter 14, the paraclete, the Holy Spirit? That literally means one who comes alongside to help. So the fact that Jesus Christ has promised us that He will send His Spirit, that means that following Christ, we don't follow Christ alone because Christ is in us and working through us. And not only that, guys, if you submit and humble yourselves to Jesus Christ, He will surround you with men who will encourage you, men who will support you, and men that you can fight the battle with. Amen? That, that, that's, that's, that's the content of the Bible, you see. But the culture wants to say that you have to do it alone. And there in verse number uh, 5 through 6, there's a man named Adonai Bezek. And this was a king who had lived his whole life torturing and dis- this is Old Testament, sorry, this is in the Bible, torturing and dismembering other kings. Like, that's what he did. He's like, what are we going to do? We're going to go to war. What happens when we go to war? We're going to beat these guys. When we beat these guys, what are you going to do to the king? We're going to cut off his thumbs and his toes. I mean, brutal type of stuff. God used the Israelites for re- retributive 
judgment for this man. And I think about Caleb. Caleb spent it... By the way, you guys realize if you read your Bibles carefully, this man Caleb had been given this area that was going to be his home 10 to 12 years earlier. But instead of going and claiming this place called Hebron, he spent his time winning homes for other people. We catch that? If you're Caleb, you're like, man, I'm in my 80s. Like I've, I've lived a long time. I've fought a lot of battles. It's been really tough. I've had to deal with my generation that doesn't believe God. But yet, he went and he continued. And he says, you know what? I'm not going to rest until other people can rest. You ever know one of the difference, notice one of the difference between uh, boys and men? You ever notice little boys? Like you ever, ever have a line? What do little boys try to do? Try to cut to the front, right? I want to cut to the front and get the first dibs. What men do, guys, is we wait until everyone else has something. If you remember that movie Titanic, in that day and time, I think manhood was a lot more entrenched now. Today, we're told by many people uh, that, guys, it's about you and it's about your needs. Guys, the way that we break past that is we serve people. But they said, put the women and the children on the boats first. There's one ship that went down. It was a British ship. And the, the men, the captain of the ship told the men there weren't enough boats to go around. He said, stand still and die like Englishmen. Now, that's kind of a Debbie Downer story. But I think there's something to be said there that we as guys, sometimes we, we look to the world for fulfillment for what we can get. But Jesus Christ calls us to have a different spirit like Caleb and to say, I am absolutely 100% committed to Jesus Christ. I will serve my family. I will sacrifice for my family. And not just to provide financially. Because this is a tough economic time, right? Have you all noticed that? And there are so many men that are working, so many women that are working, just just to make ends meet. And guys, it doesn't just mean to sacrifice for them, to provide for them financially, but to be the point where we give and we model what Jesus Christ is. Not only that, we have to free ourselves from the cultural mindset of saying partial commitment to Jesus Christ is okay. What we have to do is frequently remind ourselves of God's promise and attempt great things for God. This is what Joshua and Caleb did in Numbers chapter 13 and Joshua chapter 14. So here's the thing. Not only did did Caleb sacrifice for the Lord, but if you go over to verse number 8, it speaks of the men of Judah fought against Jerusalem and captured it and struck it with the edge of the sword and set the city on fire. And then in verse 9, the men of Judah continue to fight. And then in verse number 11, they went against the inhabitants of a particular place and Caleb said, he who attacks Kiriath Sefer and Captures it. I will give him my Aksa, my daughter, for a wife. So here's the thing. Here's the way that that worked back then. If you were a guy, you had pretty much control over who your daughter would marry. Some guys today are like, hmm, kind of like that. All right. Today you can like pull out your guns when they come over and threaten them and all that sorts of stuff. But here's what he did. He says, "I'm setting a goal high. Whoever leads the charge, I'm going to give him my daughter." So here guys, here's a principle from God's word. Whenever you submit yourself to Jesus Christ and act on his strength, that attracts strength. If we set the bar low if we set the bar that weakness is fine and not weakness and humility, but weakness of character, unwillingness to follow Jesus Christ. If that's fine, then that's what we're going to attract. But Caleb said, you know what? I'm going to set the bar high. 
And one of the things, guys, that we have to consistently cut off with the sword of truth are those cores that the culture puts around us that says it's okay to be mediocre. It's not for a man of God. Amen? Life is too short to be mediocre. And here's the thing. For those of you guys, you're like, man, I'm just kind of into church and I just like, I'm just starting out and I'm just back and I don't really know where to go. If you just follow God in the little things, those quote unquote little things will lead you to where He would have you to go. Sometimes you say, man, Jeff, you got these big words in the Bible and dudes giving away their daughters. Well, I, I, I don't, I'm not even, I'm not even tracking with that. It's like a world that's foreign to me. Here's a principle from God's Word, Old Testament, New Testament, that when you obey Him in the least things, He will lead you to the greater things. Jesus said, He who can be trusted with little can be trusted with what? With much. So Caleb's challenge attracted that strength. You see now, Jeff, how, 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 do, I, how, do, I, how do I do things great for God? Well, you look for what God would have you to do. If you're here and you've never been saved, maybe you're religious, but you've never been saved. Why don't We're going to give an invitation here in just a few minutes. Why don't you give your life to Jesus Christ and come forward during that invitation and say, I'm standing up for Jesus. He called upon everyone everywhere to repent. I'm going to repent. Why don't you follow Christ and baptize? Be, being baptized, He called us to do that. And I get involved in the life of the local church. And, and here's a, an article... Uh, that I, I actually printed this off last year. It's 11 practical ways for men to lead a family. I'm not going to give you all 11. Let me just give you a few hints. If you're just starting out wondering what it looks like to lead your family to follow Jesus. Number one, as the family leader, model, model humility, honesty, repentance, service, study, and worship. Your life preaches as least as loudly as your words, so teach and model humble godliness by the grace of God. And not only that, secondly, but to make sure that your family has age-appropriate Bibles. So if you got the kids, you can get them the kids' Bibles so that they can read that with you. Not only that, but it says that to choose good books that you and your wife can be reading together. A book of the Bible, a good Christian book, and then, this is awesome. It says, having have dinner together with your family most nights, if possible, and use that time to pray together. Then keep a journal log of prayer requests for other people and read a portion of the Bible and talk about it together. This is the one I think is most powerful. No matter, guys, if you've been to church for decades or if this is your first time back in a long time or first time ever. Place a hand on the head of each of your children every day and pray over them. Then kiss them on the head and make sure they often get a loving hug. Now, usually at a moment like that, you say, Jeff, my kids are older. We never did that growing up. Who's to say that today's too late to start to give them the love of a dad who's been saved? I think this would be a good moment to pause and address the fact that, that in America, many, many men were raised in homes to where dad may have been there but Jesus was not number one. So you're like, Jeff, how in the world do I see this modeled? You simply come to Jesus. You lay down the battle sword of your life. Kind of like knights used to get knighted by the king. And you kneel humbly before him and you say, I'm here and I'm reporting for duty. We have to free ourselves from the false, tough guys show no emotion. 
We have to come to the place, guys, to where we're free and we're willing to be passionate about what should be passionate about. Things such as trying to end abortion, helping mothers who are considering taking their baby's own life, children in third world countries that are hungry and don't have clean water, things like doing mission trips here, and things such as your neighbor who may have a job like you, but they don't know Jesus Christ. That we should have men who are willing say, God, I am willing to get on fire for you, even if that looks a little bit weird. I mean, there's a revival I preached in Florida several years ago, and the last night of the revival, I, I just was led by the Lord to preach on prayer. And what they had with the men of that church is that after the service on Wednesdays, they would get together and they would pray for a little while. And it was different that night, the pastor said, because there were men. One guy, he had one of these Duck Dynasty type of beards, you know what I'm saying? Like the Phil, I mean, just, just, a, just a tough, grizzly, hardcore looking guy. But yet he began to just pray and to weep for people to be saved. Then there was this other guy and he began to just weep before God about how he had not prayed with his family. And it was just an awesome thing to see this level of brokenness among men to where we come before Jesus and we say, Lord, even if it looks strange, I'm going to try my best to lead my family to follow You. So here's the effects, guys. If you simply just come to Jesus and you say, Jesus, I'm going to give my life to You. I'm going to follow You in the little things. Little things could even include asking forgiveness if you had the wrong words or you had the wrong spirit with someone in your home or whether you need to go make restitution with someone else, forgiving someone else. Because your children will see that and they will reflect that. And here's the effect, two things. Is that your children will reflect your confidence in facing the challenges of life. Notice what happened here. Not only did Caleb raise the bar, Othniel rose to the challenge. He took the city. The daughter was given to him. But the daughter, she comes to Caleb there in verse number 14. And she asked her father for a great gift. It was an area of land with water and springs. And in that day and time, that was one of the greatest things that you could ask for. Here's what we see. If you're bringing this all to a succinct, I guess, closing, that Caleb asked for great things for God. When he was a younger man, he looked at this mountain called Hebron. It was a stronghold of wickedness. And he said, give me this mountain. For some of you, 40 may be close. Sometimes it's in the rearview mirror. For some of you, it's coming up pretty quick. In his 40s, he said, give me this mountain. And then when he was in his 80s, God finally gave it to him. What a great request. And then here he is in the twilight years of his life. He raises the bar even again for young Othniel, his son-in-law. And then his daughter sees that example of great courage and confidence in God. And she says, give me springs of water. Your children will model and imitate and mimic that confidence in God because when people may discourage them and may, they may go through the dark valleys of their own life, they will remember, you know what? My dad may not have had a doctorate degree in Bible, but he had confidence that God would prevail. Amen, church? He had a quiet confidence. He worked like that old country song says, Daddy's Hands. And it speaks about how Daddy's hands were so gnarled from working. Dad worked and he worked and he worked so that we could provide. But I remember when my dad prayed for me. I remember when he came, even when I was a teenager, a college student, and he knelt down beside the family and he said, I'm so sorry. 
I've provided for you materially, yes, but I've not done my best at modeling what it means to love Jesus. And I want to change that right now. I love you. And Dad changed. When they get old and gray, they'll remember you. They'll remember you. And that will provide the ultimate motivation force for them to never give up and never give in. You know, some of your greatest accomplishments could be not so much what you give to Jesus Christ by way of money, not so much by way of what you do here at Rocky Mountain Baptist Church, by what you invest in your children. By what you invest in your children. And if you exhibit that quiet, that firm confidence in the grace of God, your children will call, will crawl, will draw upon that courage and do great exploits for God. And this man card that we passed out is kind of as a joke. What it means to truly have this in the real sense is to not have what most of us have, and that's a, a fake. And it's called a pride card. And in our culture, guys, we get the two confused. We think that if you're a true man, then we never ask anyone for anything. That we never humble ourselves. But when we look at Jesus Christ, guys, He took more physical beating than we could ever take combined. He took more emotional rejection. He took the wrath of God for the sin of the world. And He took it alone when all of His friends left. And He could have killed every Roman soldier and every Jewish leader there by the power of calling God's angels to execute judgment. But He did not. You see, that's the man that we have to model our life upon. And that includes, guys, not just courage to stand up and take it on the chin, but it includes the humility and the compassion to give grace where it's necessary because in those moments, that's where true manhood takes place. And that's something that only God can give. And this morning, His hands are extended to you. Will you ask for it?